This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. At the end of an eventful holiday season, Hollywood has found itself forced to reassess some cherished beliefs. Ever on the lookout for shortcuts when it comes to greenlighting future projects, one of the most obvious ones included the endless remakes of past hits. Even the word franchise implies a reliable, can't-fail formula like McDonald's, Coca-Cola and Dunkin' Donuts. So let's go on Dunkin' those donuts. Hitler made mistakes, and with this, I will correct them all. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. But movies are rather more expensive to produce than donuts, and when the big ones fail to ignite as well as expected, like the latest Indiana Jones and Mission Impossible movies, there's a good chance that someone's going to lose their shirt. At least the last Fast and Furious managed to recover some money from the overseas market. Over there, people love watching real-life cars getting totaled on real-life roads, apparently. If it could be done in a car, they did it. If it violates the laws of God and gravity, they did it twice. The biggest surprises, of course, were the least likely blockbusters, or at least the least predictable, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Right now, expensive consultants and focus groups are wrestling with the big questions of those two big hits. Those questions being why and how. Barbie in the real world. That's impossible. If this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! Well, knowing Hollywood, the answers will probably miss the mark for a while at any rate. I know the studios have already commissioned movies based on various other Mattel toys, for instance. And I imagine there are a whole lot of scripts based on famous physicists in development even as we speak. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero would be nice. So if you've got a script in your bottom drawer about Ernest Rutherford, now might be the time to dust it off. Nobody seems to have spotted the obvious secret behind Barbenheimer's success, that they were what happens when two talented filmmakers get to make movies based on lifetime obsessions. Since the first little girl ever existed, there have been dolls. But the dolls were always and forever baby dolls. Until... Christopher Nolan had been trying to get the story of the atom bomb up for decades, apparently, while Greta Gerwig's obsession with her favourite dolls went back even further. The other surprise hit, in America at any rate, was a low-budget thriller loosely based on real life that had friends in high places. Hear that? That's the sound of freedom. Even the title, Sound of Freedom, is a bit of a dog whistle to a certain chunk of the market. The story, a lone middle-aged man sets off to rescue kids from evil sex traffickers, sounds the sort of thing you'd expect Liam Neeson to star in. Stop the car! There's a bomb in this car! Whatever it is you want, let my children go. My daughter needs help! Time to play games. 
But in fact, Liam was busy this week in another lone man Euro pudding thriller called Retribution. But Sound of Freedom's star Jim Caviezel proved to be the secret of its success. And also a bit of a mixed blessing, half sales pitch, half sermon. Sound of Freedom is one of those films that can legitimately change this world. So we want to ignite a fire in audiences and open their eyes to the dark reality of millions of children that need our help. More on Sound of Freedom and Retribution in a minute. But first, a film that relies on a rather older shortcut. Forget the popular franchise or even the trendy subject matter. A great friend rests entirely on attractive characters. An actor I've always been fascinated by, as much by his name as anything else, is French star Lambert Wilson. As his name implies, he's entirely bilingual, English and French, despite being born in Paris and having his biggest hits in France, notably a recent triumph as General Charles de Gaulle. Vincent Delcourt, entrepreneur, business angel, philanthrope. Vous êtes considéré par la presse étrangère comme le français incarnant le mieux la modernité et l'innovation. Êtes-vous heureux? In a great friend, Wilson plays Vincent Delcourt, billionaire, entrepreneur and philanthropist, a man who has everything but also has an awful lot of people depending on him. He's the envy of the world, but is he happy? C'est la première fois qu'il fait une crise oblique. It seems not. Recently, he's been subject to panic attacks. He needs to get away, away to the countryside where people are people, not mere items on a spreadsheet. But the trouble with the countryside is when your car breaks down, you're dependent on a passing local to help you. Bonjour. Vous vivez ici? In this case, the local is Pierre, played by another veteran French star, Gregory Gadebois. Having picked up the stranded Vincent, the taciturn and grumpy Pierre reluctantly lets him stay the night. But next day, the refreshed Vincent wonders if he can stay longer. This idyllic rural life could be the making of him. Vous bien là, no? C'est vous qui avez raison. Un rayon de soleil, un peu d'eau de source, la sobriété heureuse. Qu'est-ce que vous voulez J'aurais besoin de quelques heures de calme. A deal is struck, but then, as Vincent gets to grips with the real country values typified by Pierre, he wonders if there might be a few things he can teach his unsophisticated host about life and love, perhaps. After all, it's plain that Pierre's making no progress with Camille, the woman of his dreams. T'es sûr que c'est Vincent Delcourt? Oui. Et qu'est-ce qu'il faisait chez toi? Un tabouret, un tout petit tabouret. Toi, tu peux pas te rendre compte, mais ce gars-là, il est partout. I know it sounds like a routine French city slicker country bumpkin farce, the sort of thing we're used to seeing in films like Danny Boone's Welcome to the Sticks. Writer-director Eric Benard is another veteran whose CV includes comedies, thrillers and period dramas like the recent Delicieux, also starring Gregory Gadebois. Du beurre, voyons, du beurre Faut faire bien, faire grand Savoureux. Si vous avez deux minutes, le duc aimerait faire son commentaire. 
So, hard to pigeonhole, and so is a great friend. For a start, neither Vincent nor Pierre is quite what they first appear. Vincent was certainly not born to the high-tech high-life. He's constantly nagged by memories of his humble beginnings. And nor is Pierre the simple peasant he presents himself as. Pierre has hidden depths, while the cosmopolitan Vincent has hidden shallows. And the longer the two rub against each other, the more they find themselves drawn together. The French title was Les Choses Simples, the simple life, if you like. But the clumsier sounding A Great Friend is a better summary of what it's about. Like all good movie comedy dramas, this one depends on character, getting underneath the obvious surface to find unexpected nooks and crannies. Will Vincent learn to shut up, for instance? Will Pierre ever loosen up and risk making an idiot of himself now and again? And they both learn that sometimes the unexpected can happen and you have to deal with it. I had no idea there were bears in the Alps, for instance. A great friend is what happens when you enliven an apparently familiar story with two unfamiliar characters. In French cinema, a story isn't always about reaching a convenient conclusion. Sometimes it's about watching how people change. In this case, from odd couple to great friends, with an ending I didn't see coming. Not a bad formula for a good movie. Sound of Freedom surprised the pundits, certainly the liberal elite pundits, by succeeding rather more than expectations. Some weeks it outgrossed far more prestigious titles like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. There must be more to it than simply a less cumbersome title. All the headlines are about how well Sound of Freedom slots into the current culture wars in the United States. From the presence of religious right figures like producer Mel Gibson and star Jim Caviezel to the theme of child sex trafficking, which chimes with the paranoia of the Internet's lunatic fringe. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade, and soon it's going to pass the drug trade. Because you can sell a bag of cocaine one time with a child, five to ten times a day. Certainly, star Jim Caviezel has been pushing the film firmly towards the QAnon fan base. It's even been championed by Donald Trump, of all people. Whatever you may think of the film, its unconventional marketing strategy is clearly working. For homeland security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. Which means she'll disappear for good. Imagine walking into a room right now, seeing an empty bed. What we do?
Now, obviously, I have no way of knowing how accurate the background to Sound of Freedom is or even how reliable a picture it paints of the real-life Tim Ballard. I gather the story has been tweaked considerably for dramatic effect and the actual child-slave situation is far more complicated than the simplistic stranger-danger scenario described here. How long have you been doing this? 12 years now. How many pedophiles you got? 288. How many kids you found? But it's a movie, not a crusading documentary, even if it sometimes claims to be. We meet heroic Tim Ballard, Jim Caviezel, tirelessly tracking down pedophiles and rescuing children for US homeland security. How'd that make you feel? Giving a child his freedom. Oh, good. One day, Ballard learns of a particular case, a very young brother and sister taken from their happy home in Honduras and then whisked off to the jungles of Colombia. Now, the reason Ballard is involved is that, notoriously, the vast majority of the clients of these child smugglers are American pedophiles. My country tis of thee. Why are you doing it? God's children are not for sale. Ballard ropes in the assistance of a reformed criminal called Vampiro, played by the best thing in the film, respected character actor Bill Camp. So at this moment, she could be a block down the road, or she could be in Moscow, Bangkok, L.A. Rather than trying to track down the child smugglers, Ballard and Vampiro set up a scheme to attract them. They'll set up a private sex club with the aid of a tame multimillionaire. And surprisingly, this bit actually happened, though it was entirely a Colombian initiative rather than the work of a couple of heroic Americans. It's all rebel territory. No one goes in. Not the army, not the police, not us. What if this was your daughter? The sex club scam was a success, though the little girl Ballard was chasing remains a prisoner deep in the Amazon jungle. When Tim decides to rescue her, he falls foul of his boss, who reminds him foreign enterprises aren't part of his job description. But he's encouraged by his equally heroic wife, Mira Savino, who urges him to let freedom ring. It's over, Tim. Close up and come back home. So you quit your job and you go and rescue those kids. When you're faced with a film called Sound of Freedom, you're reminded how much that loaded word has changed over the years and how much we associate it with a certain type of right-wing ideology. In this case, it also means freedom from the actual facts, from the misleading early shots of innocent kids being snatched in the street by criminals to Tim Ballard's entirely fictional rescue mission to find one child in the heart of Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. And this is my one chance to put those pieces back together. In addition, at the end of the film, Jim Caviezel pops up as himself, urging audiences to buy more tickets for friends and family. In this way, they'll draw attention to the cause and the film, which he modestly compares to books like Uncle Tom's Cabin as one of the most important works in history. Theatres across this country are already selling out. Pre-order your tickets today and you can send the message. 
God's children are no longer for sale. The director of Sound of Freedom, Mexican Alejandro Monteverde, clearly went along with this hard sell by his star, though he's subsequently expressed some discomfort at Caviezel's more extreme politics. I assume he's happy enough with the film's unlikely success, though. Success, I might add, that owes very little to any intrinsic quality. It's Rambo, without the political nuance, essentially. When God tells you what to do... Surprisingly, Sound of Freedom isn't the most boneheaded thriller of the week. That dubious honour goes to the latest Liam Neeson outing, Retribution, a title that asks more questions than it answers. Not least, what's bank executive Matt Turner doing in a clearly German city, one where most of his German colleagues all speak perfect English? Why are you doing this? What have I ever done to you? Dad! This life or yours? Matt, I'm your best friend. I assume the answer is commercial. Most of the money came from Germany, even if the stars didn't. Aside from Ulsterman Neeson, just about all of the speaking roles seem to have gone to Brits and Americans. The film itself is the fourth take of a story that began its career in Spain, followed by versions from Germany and South Korea. Goodness knows why. Get them to school on time, OK? Matt's off to drop his two kids at school before heading to work. Mum's off on a slightly mysterious errand. She and Matt have a bit of a Barney beforehand to give the illusion of some sort of characterisation, we assume. Anyway, there's Dad driving along the autobahn when suddenly there's a mysterious phone call. Are you going to answer that? What? It's not mine. Hello? Where do you buy those sinister voice boxes, I wonder, since they're only used by shady criminals who plan to keep their identity secret until the final shock reveal? You'd think shopkeepers would immediately call the police when anyone asks for one. Anyway, there's a bomb in the car. What is it? It's okay, sweetie. The gimmick is that if you get out of your seat, the car blows up. And if anyone tries anything else, like call for help or wave down the police, it'll blow up too, because Mr or Ms Voicebox is also watching everything they do. You do exactly what I say when I say... What do you want? Your investor's money. 208 million euros. This is about money. If you think this doesn't seem to make much sense, not even the straightforward sense of the old Keanu Reeves movie Speed, then you ain't seen nothing yet. Matt initially also finds it a bit hard to believe, but he goes along with it when he's bullied into approaching the car of a friend who's run into a similar problem. Answer that. Matt, there's a guy that called. He said we're going to die because of you. Oh, I don't want to die, Matt. You're not going to die. 
Like all criminal masterminds, Herr Voicebox tends to make his plans rather more elaborate than he needs to. I mean, why so many complicated errands, like chasing his best friend, Matthew Modine, as a German called Anders Muller, and threatening him with a gun he didn't know he had? We're here. Listen very carefully, or I kill you. Open the glove box. Shoot him. Why are you doing this? You start to realise that having set up the plot of Dad and Two Kids in a booby-trapped car, the film is running out of ways to avoid blowing it up. So, finally, we bring in the cops. Lots and lots of German cops, though, run by Europol, presumably to explain an English actor in the one-speaking role. Mr Turner, I'm with Europol. I'm innocent, believe me. I need trust. It's my job to stop people from dying. You set me up and you all bought it. It's theatre star Noma Dumaswene and she's rather good in spite of, well, in spite of everything. She tells Matt that the word on the Strasse is that it's all an ingenious plan by him to rip off the bank's clients and there's no such person as voice box. I know that you lost a lot of money for your clients who invested in your fund. A lot of people are worried about you. You've got everybody's attention, Matt. Well, this is all Matt needs to kick himself into gear and finally go into Liam Neeson mode. Now, I'm not saying he reveals a certain set of skills at this moment, but he certainly leans into that Neeson grim determination and sets out after voice box. But if you've seen the trailer, you'll know all this. He is still out there. If you can find him, I will. I'm in control here. No, you're not. You hurt my daughter, son of a bitch. I will kill you. What's it gonna be? I've never seen a trailer go to so many lengths to make sure we're not surprised by anything in the actual movie. It doesn't go as far as to reveal the identity of Mr or Ms Voicebox, but you won't need to be Sherlock Holmes to work it out. Honestly, Dr Watson could have solved it. There's one thing you didn't think of. What a man will do when he's got nothing to lose. The best thing about the movie, apart from Noma Dumaswene, who plays an admirably straight bat throughout, is the name of the director, Nimrod Antal. He sounds like a Bond villain. I wonder if he directed through a criminal voice box. He certainly should have. And with that suggestion for Nimrod's next effort, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morrison. I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.